0: Good morning church if you weren't awake you are now um, just quick before we get started um, I was made aware it is um, International prayer um, day for the persecuted church um, and so I thought before we get into the sermon I thought I'd take some time to um, pray for our brothers and sisters um, out there in the world who are struggling in persecution uh, if you remember a couple weeks ago I talked a little bit about this and There's somewhere around 245 million Christians in the world um, who face high levels of persecution. Um, There's 11 countries um, who rate in the extreme level for the way they persecute Christians. Um, And five years before that data, there was only one. Um, And so it's kind of staggering, but we know that um, when the devil has to step up his efforts, we're doing something right. So let's pray for our brothers and sisters. Dear God, I just want to um, come to you this morning and um, ask that you continue to stand by um, our brothers and sisters in Christ, um, wherever they are, in um, whatever persecution level that they're facing, and to uh, give them the courage and the knowledge to know that you are there and that you are watching over them, and that no matter what happens, um, furthering your kingdom is the thing that this world needs most. Um, the world needs you, and what they are doing is amazing, uh, and so continue to push them out into the field to do that, and, um, and continue to encourage us to be praying for them um, and supporting them in the ways that we can while we're here, uh, but it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. So growing up, uh, I used to have a shirt, and it said, I do all my own stunts. And my mom had gotten this for me uh, because there was a number of predicaments that I found myself in where I was either hurting myself on accident or causing some other situation or whatever. Um, And just a couple examples of this. Uh, The first black eye that I ever got, um, I was was pretty young. I was probably three or four, um, and I wanted to be like David. David has always been my favorite character in the Bible, and I wanted to be like him. And so I got a decent-sized rock. And I dropped it in the leg of some pantyhose, and I started swinging it above my head. And um, as the saying goes, what goes around comes around. (laughs) And smacked myself in the face with a rock. So um, that was how I got my first black eye. There was one particular time, though. um, My dad had showed me this really cool trick where you can take a magnifying glass and focus the sun through it to burn things. Um, You can imagine where this is going already. Um, And so he taught me, you know, you can take like some scrap two by fours and some wood and you can like carve your name or doodles or whatever in it. And so um, I think I was around eight years old at this point. Um, And so I had spent some of my afternoons doing this and you know, I'm not creative, so I was mainly just writing my name over and over. Um, And then eventually I ran out of scrap wood and so I knew that, you know, if I took my dad's nice wood, he'd be mad about that. And so I went a- looking around our property, trying to find something else to use. Well, I came across some cardboard. And in my mind, I'm like, well, that should work the, exa- the exact same, right? I mean, it- you can burn holes in it, and it should be good. And so, you know, I grabbed this cardboard, and I brought it back to the, um, the yard by our house. And, you know, I- so I got my magnifying glass, and I'm, like, trying to spell my name, And then, all of a sudden, there's this little bitty flame that pops up. I'm like, well, that's weird. The wood doesn't do that. Uh, And so naturally, I mean, it was about the size of a candle flame, so I was like, well, I'll just blow it out. And so I blow on it, and it gets bigger. (laughs) Well, this is an issue. I just, I must not be blowing hard enough. So I blow harder. And then before you know it, I'm sitting on this piece of cardboard that's engulfed in flames, (laughs) But naturally, I I knew exactly what to do at this point, so I got up and I ran into the house yelling for my mom. (laughs) And so she came out, and we were um, luckily able to get the fire put out um, before it did too much damage. Um, I did leave a nice big burn spot in our yard, Um, and then, of course, I tried to cover it up before my dad got home, because, you know, for whatever reason, I didn't think my mom was going to tell him. But, and so in the end, I wasn't allowed to play with magnifying glasses anymore. But fire is kind of a funny thing. Um, You know, sparks and flames, they don't seem that bad until you're watching the news of like California where millions of acres of forest fires um, and houses are just being wiped off the face of the planet. Um, And so this morning in, in the book of James... We'll be looking at the idea of how do we tame fire, but we're going to be looking at a very specific type of fire, and this is the fire that is, that is the words coming out of our mouth. And so if you would, uh, turn with me to the book of James, we'll be in chapter 3 and be looking at verses 1 through 12. James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, I'll give you a second to turn there. It makes the pastor happy just being able to stand here and hear all the pages flip. Yes. So it says there, starting in verse 1, not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault And what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue." Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Um, Growing up, you might have heard the phrase sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. I don't know about you, but I never found that to be true. (laughs) Um, Words have a very deep impact in people's lives. And so when James compares them to a fire, it seems very appropriate. Because you see, once you start a fire, once you start a forest fire, you can't take it back. It's been started. The only thing you can do is go into damage control mode and try and contain what's going on. And it's the same things with the words that we speak. No matter how many times we say, oh, I didn't mean it, I didn't mean it, I didn't mean it. If you spoke it, it's out there. And there is no taking it back. I'm sure we could go around this room and all of us would have stories about the things that we have said that we shouldn't have or things that were said to us that caused great pain. As a youth pastor, I see it all the time in my students, the effects of someone putting them down, whether it's a classmate, a friend, a teacher, a parent, words spoken that become the root of insecurities that will last a lifetime. Some of you here might have still have insecurities from things that people in grade school said to you. And many times, it's, it's not even the egregious things that we would all find awful, but it's the simple words or phrases disguised as sarcasm or a joke that can cause far more, far more damage than we ever realize. I would say we get ourselves in the most trouble and with our words in the heat of the moment where things are getting serious and you can feel that anger building inside of you. You can feel it start in your stomach and as it continues it rises up to your chest and you can feel your heart pounding. Slowly it continues and then you know you can feel it. It's like on the tip of your tongue and you're literally like maybe like holding your mouth shut trying not to say it. But then maybe you can't hold it back anymore and you're spouting off something just awful, destructive, and hurtful. It happens in all sorts of different situations in our lives. An argument with our spouse, when your kids just did something wrong, someone mentions absolutely anything about politics, maybe someone cuts you off on the highway, right? In those moments, we aren't thinking, we aren't listening, the frustration in our heart has gotten to the point, the words just come out and immediately. And you know what you've done wrong. You know, most people, they, I had a friend and he said something wrong and he literally, uh, he tried to like grab it and put it back in his mouth. It was just his immediate reaction. I was like, no, but you can't. My most uh, recent memories was something like this happening to me. Um, has to deal with how protective I've become over Magnolia's sleep. I've always heard people talk about, you know, asking parents, oh, how are you sleeping? Are you getting any sleep? And I always kind of brush it off. But now I'm a parent, and I understand. (laughs) Sleep has become a commodity, (laughs) more precious than silver and gold. (laughs) I know at times, Sammy and I, we'll, like, bargain with each other over, you know, like, hey, if you let me do this, I'll wake up with her at night so you can get extra sleep. You know, it's a bargaining chip now. But the issue with this is we have two dogs. And not just any dogs, but the highly excitable corgi breed that happen to have ears like fox. Now, even though they don't stand more than two feet off the ground, um, they find it extremely important to protect us the best way they know how, and that's by barking their little heads off. Drives me nuts. And so for a while, you know, Magnolia would be in our room sleeping in her bassinet. You know, it'd be 2, 3 in the morning, all is calm and peaceful. Um, Sammy and I are getting some much-needed sleep. All you can hear is the gentle sound of rain coming from the noise machine. And then out of nowhere, it's like the world is coming to the end. As a squirrel sneezed, like two blocks away, <laughs> and our dogs find it that they need to like, have a competition to see who can bark the loudest. In those moments, as I hear Magnolia scream in terror, <laughs> that boiling point, it's not like it's just a slow process, it's wha, and I'm just like screaming at our dogs. <laughs> You know, and it's two in the morning, and so like what I'm saying doesn't even make sense. But I'm, you know, I'm yelling at them, just screaming my heart out because I'm exhausted, and the anger in my heart has just come out. And the Bible um, kind of explains why we do this in these situations. Uh, in the book of Luke, chapter six, verses forty-three and forty-five. Of what the heart is full of, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. I don't know if you noticed this, but the passage sounds a lot like the one we're actually studying this morning. In that last verse of James, or not the last verse, but verse twelve of James three, says, "My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs?" Right? These passages are speaking of similar concepts. And this is why what we learned last week um, is so important because our tongue is merely an overflowing of what's inside of us. And so as Mike talked about last week, a true faith is one that is practiced. To be is to do. So if you want a way to measure whether you're producing good fruit or bad fruit, then just think back to what you say in frustrating circumstances. Is what you are saying congruent with the fruits of the Spirit? Is it coming from a place of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? Think back to that last argument you had with your spouse, the last time you chewed out your child, the last time you debated politics with someone, or the last time someone cut you off. That the words flowing out of your mouth contain love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control? Because if not, then according to this passage in Luke, you know whether you are storing good things or evil things in your heart. What I find to be one of the hardest things with the progress of time today is how easy it has gotten to let these evil thoughts flow um, from your heart and out of your mouth. Um, in the world of the Internet, you can tear someone down without even having to open your mouth. We now live in a world where one of the biggest issues that schools are facing is cyberbullying, where bullies don't even have to say something to someone's face anymore, but can cower behind their phone or computer screen and say the most terrible things about people. And this is causing great issues for the younger generation. Because at least it used to be, you know, you got out of school and you could go home and you could get away from it for a little while. But now as long as these um, teenagers and young kids are tethered technology, um, then bullies can reach them wherever they're at. Now understand, I'm not saying that technology itself is inherently evil. It's not, technology on its own is nothing. But it's when it's in the hands of evil people with evil thoughts stored in their heart that it becomes dangerous and it becomes destructive, just like the words we speak to someone. If you've spent any time on social media, then you've probably witnessed how mean people can be online. You've probably seen the rants or the passive comments, the postings online, the sendings of emails or text messages, All these things are no different than if we were to physically speak to a person. And so as we look at how do we tame these words of fire that come out of our mouth, this is part of it. We have to look at how we use technology and how we speak through technology. Because the false courage of being able to say destructive things without having to do it in person is misleading because the damage is the same. Overall, the example for why James is writing this section is the need for teachers to be careful how they use their words. The reason James uses that example is because another way that we can use words to hurt people is with Scripture itself. Just because we are using Scripture does not mean we are saying the right thing. That sounds counterintuitive. But hear me out. If you think back to the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, we see him out in the wilderness, and he's being tempted by the devil. During the second temptation, what do we see the devil do? He quotes scripture. Last week, Mike talked about how even the demons believe and tremble at God And this week, we can see that even Satan himself can twist Scripture to try and confuse people. This example in the New Testament is not the first time that we see Satan twisting Scripture either. All the way back, if we go to Genesis with Adam and Eve, we see him do it again. Right? God placed two important trees in the garden, the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And he told Adam and Eve, You can eat from any tree in this garden except this one, the one of the knowledge of good and evil. Because if you do, what will happen? You will certainly die. Well, here comes Satan in the form of a serpent. Which I don't know why you would trust the form of a serpent anyway, clearly evil. Um, but what does he say to Eve? Oh, no, don't worry about it. You won't die. He twists the command of God. And this would be the temptation that would lead to the fall of all mankind. Why? Because someone twisted Scripture. This is why controlling our tongue is so important, especially if we're going to take on the responsibility of teaching God's words to others. Just as easy it is to say something hurtful to your spouse in an argument or send that passive text message to your friend, is extremely easy to twist Scripture from the purpose that God has given it and the wisdom that he has given it to meet our own needs and to use it to even tear people down at times. If you want another great example of this, we can look at the Pharisees. In Matthew 23, 1 through 4, it says, Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on others' shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. You see, the Pharisees were these people, and they usually only followed the laws that Um, had some effect on how you looked on the outside you know whatever you could do to make yourself look good that's why you see later um, Jesus says you know don't fast like they do because they make their faces look gaunt and they want people to see that they're following this law but on on all reality they aren't following the full weight of it but at the same time they were taking that full weight of the law and dropping it on other people and saying why can't you be good as I am They try to make themselves look righteous and upright. And because of this, Jesus called them whitewashed tombs. Might look good on the outside, but it's dead on the inside. Teaching is a sign of authority and wisdom. Back in the time of of James and when he was writing this, teachers held great respect in Jewish communities. And because of this, Um, if it would have came out that they were twisting Scripture for their own purposes, it would have been extremely shameful for them. And so this is why the Pharisees hated Jesus, because he exposed them all the time for what they truly were. And so if we are going to bear the responsibility of teaching others on any level whether preaching, leading a life group, communion meditation, Sunday school, teaching at Encounter or Slam or children's church, or even if we're going to take on the responsibility of personally discipling someone, then understand you are probably viewed as having authority and wisdom, and with that comes a responsibility to teach truth and not your truth, but God's truth. Because the words you speak in teaching are important and should be deliberate. Adhering to the truth of Scripture and not used for your own purposes or to tear down others in shame and guilt. Overall, the taming of our tongue is a serious task. And it's one that James clearly points out that we cannot do on our own. The strength we need does not come from ourselves, but from God. It comes through our faith and relationship in Him. And so before we end today... Since we looked at all the different ways that words can be dangerous, whether it's us speaking them out of the hate and evil in our heart that we have stored there, or whether it's through the passive use of technology, or whether it's through using scripture to hold people down, there's another side to this, and that's the life-giving words that God has given us. And so I'd like to look at how God has brought life into this world through his words, And so, if we look at Genesis again, even before Adam and Eve, God was busy creating the entire universe. And one of the spectacular things about this is how he did it. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. The ground you stand on is there because God spoke it to be. The things that we get to enjoy from the mountains to the seas to the miles and miles of farmland that provide food for us are there because God's words bring life and not destruction. In a similar fashion, another aspect of God's word that brings life and not destruction is through the message of the gospel. Unlike what the Pharisees tried to do with scripture, it's not there to hold us down, but to lift us up and set us free. That, the, that through this word we learn of the life of our Savior and what he did to save us from our own doom. You see, when we speak from our own wisdom and from our own accord, just like James says, the tongue is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. But God has not made it where you have to rely on your own tongue, but has given us a way that we may speak to people just like God has done for us. And I think very purposely the imagery that is used to describe this uh, is a flaming tongue. In Acts 2, we see this event of Pentecost. It says, When the day of Pentecost came there in Acts 2, they were all together in one place. Suddenly the sound of like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house they were sitting They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them, and all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Shortly after this, Peter would walk out and he would, filled by the Holy Spirit, would give the first sermon based on the life of Christ. How do we tame our tongue? It comes through a relationship with God. It is when we are connected to the true vine that provides life that we bear good fruit. If we store those good things in our hearts instead of the evil things that this world wants you to, then the result will be an overflow that brings life instead of destruction to those around you. And you'll be able to see and measure this by lining them up with with the fruits that are common with the Spirit of God. Are the things that you are saying, are they loving? Are they joyful? Do they promote peace? Are they kind, good? Do they promote faithfulness? Are they gentle? Do they come from a place of self-control? Could you imagine in these situations that are frustrating and a lot of times that anger builds up inside of us, uh, if we did the opposite? where instead of spouting off these awful words that are harmful and destructive, that you feel this overwhelming need inside of you of love, boiling to a point where you can't do anything but speak life-giving words to those around you. What would our marriages look like, our relationships with our children, our families, our friends, our coworkers, our bosses, or all the other random people that we meet in a day, if all we could do was speak life instead of destruction? Our world is at a point where it's hard to imagine it ever being like this. But as Christians, when we come to this place as a church body, we gather together as brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus, that's what it should be like. To be a light to our communities where they can see the beauty of what God gives us and offers them. This morning, I ask you take a look at the things that come out of your mouth. What does it reflect? is in your heart. Will you pray with me? Dear God, I thank you so much um, that we don't have to rely on our own words. That you have given us words to speak and you have given us uh, your spirit to be inside of us to help uh, speak through us and, and to show us how to give life to people instead of destruction so that the words that come out of our mouth are not of the type of fire that brings destruction, but the type of fire that brings light. Help us see whether our words are fruitful or not. Help us be a people that as we come to this place that our words don't corrupt this body, but that we can give life to each other and, and bring life to this body as a church. And we have to thank you because it's through your son that we have this life in the first place. So we thank you and we love you and it's in Jesus' name that I pray, amen.